The Book of Mark, which is a narrative about Jesus. It's a wonderful book, and it's the shortest, which is why I read it. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, and then I was like, alright, I'm just at the beginning to go through. And I was like, this? Ooh, I like this. Oh, Exodus, I like this. Leviticus. Where's that New Testament? <laughs> I went to the next part. And because no one sat down and helped me to understand, how do I study this thing? How do I understand it? What do I do with it? What's the timeline? No one told me this spans only all of earthly history. And so I'm like, oh, stop. God created everything. Wow, we really did start from the beginning. And so um, I have three main purposes for this. Um, wow. That did not come through at all. I really apologize. It's supposed to be a dark blue background. It's to understand the Bible narrative, to get a general overview, so we can understand where are we in the timeline of the story. Two, to practice properly studying the Bible. Because there are ways to do it, and there are definitely ways not to do it. And three, and this is if we have time, so I'm going to kind of try to roll through some of this. I want to show you a couple times that we see Jesus in the Old Testament. People don't realize Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. God was planting Easter eggs from the dawn of time to say Jesus is going to come about. And then we see him very clearly revealed in the New Testament. But we'll get into that. So, what is the Bible? The Bible is a collection of, of different genre writings that God inspired through specific people in specific times of history. Okay? And through the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, he inspired these to be written for them in that time period, but ultimately that we would get to know God more. And so this is why when you read through these stories, it's like ancient narratives, and you're like, what's going on in this culture? That's weird. But it's written to them, but for us, because there's a lot of principles that we can draw out to get to know God more deeply, because he's revealing his character to us. It was written by over 40 authors over a period of somewhere between 1,300 and 1,500 years. That's a pretty big span of time, though in the actual Bible itself, it talks about all of history. But when it was written, it's somewhere between 1,300 and 1,500 years. It was written in three different languages, on three different continents. But the crazy thing is, even though you have this wide array of people, shepherds wrote portions, and fishermen wrote portions, and lawyers wrote portions, there are all these different people writing different portions, even kings. And yet we see this entirely consistent theme all throughout the scripture. Almost as if one God has inspired many people to share his story that they might know. That's the beauty of the Bible. So, why read the Bible? Why should we care to? Yes. My wife made these quizzes. If you look closely, they're just like all wrong answers. <laughs> so if you're like, it's definitely me. It's not me. It's just not me. So don't go there. Why should we care to read the Bible? We should care to read the Bible because it's God's word to us. If we love God, wouldn't we want to get to know him, how he's revealed himself to us? He's literally given himself and his character and his love and his goodness and his judgment and, and who he is in this book. That we might grow closer to him in deep relationship with him, which is what he wants. He doesn't just want your belief. Demons believe in him. He also wants your love. He wants your heart. He wants all of us. That's the thing. He's been killing it on that. I love it. Here are a couple of scriptures that show this. 
You know, Second uh, Timothy three fifteen b through seventeen says the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Second Peter one twenty one says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so that's the beauty. We actually get some of the personalities of those people writing this. But it is the Holy Spirit speaking, inspiring them to write these certain things down. That those people in history might know God's specific ways, but also for us. For all history, until Jesus returns. So if we say we love God, well, should we want to get to know him through the words he's given us? And I'm going to give this. This is one more side note. We take our Bible for granted here in Western culture, especially here in the U.S. Um, you know, there's this great video. I challenge you to go look it up of an underground church in China. Um, who the underground churches? They're hidden. Um, they be you know hurt, jailed, maybe killed for being Christians and living that out and helping others to know Jesus. Well, they get a suitcase of Bibles for the first time in their own language. The most beautiful, spectacular video. Because they all go rushing as soon as the suitcase is open, pull out their Bibles. And they do this thing that I've, I've never done with my Bible. They begin to just kiss it. I mean, and it just it gives me chills to think about because, I mean, they've heard portions of Scripture, but for the first time, they'll get to encounter God just through the Scriptures. And I don't know if y'all know this, that the first man who really started translating the Bible into English was killed for it. We take our Bibles so for granted. We can get to know God in multiple versions, mind you, when there's still people around the world who don't have it in their own language. Please do not take God for granted. He did not take you for granted. I love him so much. So let's keep going. Let's get a basic overview of everything. This is like the million-foot view of the Bible looking down. We can really break it down in these, and it's missing a lot. Okay, good. It's in black, so that's a great thing. First... God creates everything. And then at the end of all his creation, mankind is like the climax of his creation because he created men and women in his image. That means that they would reflect his character, his goodness, his creativity, his volition and will. He gave them the ability to choose. He gave them these things that they also might be in a deep, loving relationship with him. That he might be friends with them, good with them, walk with them. And so that's the beginning and then, what does mankind do? We just blow it. We just totally blow it. Um, our ancestors originally, and then even us today, mankind sins, rebels against God, and this breaks our relationship with God, as well as it corrupts us. We have this self-centered tendency now because of that, yet God still wants humanity. Even though we have rejected him, pushed him away, he still wants to redeem humanity to bring them back to what he originally designed them to do, to multiply his image throughout the whole earth. Three, Jesus dies for the world. We're skipping a lot. This is that really big overview. And he wants to redeem anyone who will believe in him. He dies for the world. And this reveals God's great love to restore rebellious and sinful people and recreate them back into that image he originally designed. And then four, Jesus releases them. This is the church. 
Those who believe in Jesus, they are the church. And he sends them out that they might go be a witness to share Jesus with the world. That they might be recreated and renewed and saved out of sin and the devil's grip. That they might once again reflect his glory. And the more and more who come to know him, reflect him again. And more of the world gets to see who God is. And the church grows and spreads. Um, this is really where we see missions continue to grow. Missions is in the Old Testament. But here in the New Testament, we see it continue to exist through Jesus because... Through the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for us, that we might be saved and redeemed back into this image. Well, we're supposed to spread this throughout the whole earth. Jesus says we are to make disciples of all nations. That was always his heart. He always loves the nations. And the last one in the end, King Jesus reigns. And I don't know about y'all, the older I get, the more I look forward to this day. And it will be on a renewed, in a renewed universe, a new heavens and earth. And so I'm sure you guys are starting to pick up some of these key themes. That God has great love for us. That he wants to redeem us. That even while we were still sinners and rebels and against him, he still reaches his hands out to us. He did this to Israel. He does this to us. He's done this to all people. Because he desires to recreate us back in that image. That we might flourish and glorify him and multiply that image to the ends of the earth. So let's get a more detailed timeline. You know, I gave you that was like really big picture of the Bible, but now we're going to start to dive in and get a more specific timeline. Um, and the reason we do this is when you read specific passages in the Bible, if you don't know where this fits in the timeline, it might change how you interpret things. When you know the context behind something, it better helps you to understand the main points that God is trying to get across. And so that's why we're going through this general timeline right now. I like the callback. Tell me I'm right. And tell me when I'm wrong, too. Not a yes guy. So, let's begin to go into the Bible's broken up into two major parts. Who's got me? What are they? Bam. All right. You're dismissed. No, I'm just kidding. So, let's begin to dive through the Old Testament because I find a lot of people don't understand this as well. So, I'm going to go through it. I'm not going to hit every book. I'm going to give us kind of a chronology. Because the Bible's not necessarily in chronological order. That's the fun part. God gave us fun things. So as I'm going to start telling the story, you're going to see specific books that pop up here. That's going to tell you when I'm telling you this portion of the timeline, you'll find that portion in some of these books. Okay? So let's start. In the beginning, God created everything. And to top it all off, God made these creatures called humans who would reflect him and his character. And everything was awesome. Everything was awesome. And, you know, we've got Adam and Eve at this point, and they're in perfect relationship with God. God has made them in his image, and he's commanded them to manage and rule the earth and go forth and multiply, which means make lots of babies. Make lots of babies. Because those babies will also be in the image of God, and it multiplies the image of God. And God is further glorified. That's what he wanted from the start. That was the first commission he gave Spread his image. Make lots of babies. They're fun to make. That's a different session. <laughs> I'm married. I can say those things. Wait. And in the midst of this, that wasn't in my notes. I really shouldn't have said that. Can you scratch that out of the audience? <laughs> in the midst of this new creation, I really shouldn't have said that. In the midst of this new creation, God gave an opportunity for the first people to choose to love and follow him. Or to reject him and choose for themselves what is right and wrong. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And tempted by the devil, what does humanity choose? Well, they chose to say, God, we reject the ways you define things. We want to be God for ourselves. And we're going to choose our own path. And they do. And this introduced sin, death, evil, destruction, shame, guilt, and all these other awful things into creation. And even in the midst of this, God still gave a promise that he would one day defeat this devil who tempted them. And bring about someone in the future, almost a Messiah-like figure, a single human offspring who would do this. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. You're welcome. The descendants of Adam and Eve, for the most part, are just wicked. Literally, their son. You'd think it would take a while for murder to come about, but it's literally their son murders their other son. And many generations pass on the earth, and the earth is just wicked. Just awful. And so God chooses one family, and through them, he would continue to save mankind. And he would wipe out and kind of reset with a big flood. But even after this great reset, humanity continues to have this effect of sin. So even in the best of humans that God could find, sin persists in their hearts, infected by sin. And generations pass, and all the people of that day gather, and they're building this big, immoral city, and it's all about themselves, and it's them making a name for themselves, and God's not even in the equation. And God confuses them and spreads them. And then literally right after that, he chooses another family. And he says, I will bless them. And through them, the whole world will be blessed. Once again, it's another prophecy about Jesus. As we painted these Easter eggs all throughout it. And so let's keep going from there. This family that God has chosen begins to grow beyond number and eventually makes its way to Egypt. This is the nation of Israel, if you haven't caught on. And it grows into a nation. And they get so big that Egypt's kind of afraid of them, so oppresses them and enslaves them. And God hears their cry for help. And frees them. And he reveals his glory by really crushing Egypt and releasing Israel. And there's incredible imagery there that we can't get into. But here, God really takes this nation of Israel, and really the rest of the Old Testament just follows this nation. And God gives them their identity and purpose that they would be in close, loving relationship. Sorry, Siri. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> that they would be in close, loving relationship with God, obedient to him, reflecting his image once again that the world might see God. Israel, he didn't choose them just because they were the special chosen ones. He chose them to reveal himself to all. And so they're to reveal God all throughout the world. And all throughout this, there are hints about Jesus. Even Moses hints about Jesus. However, sin continues to plague them. And even though God revealed himself so powerfully to them, Israel makes it to this land, this promised land, and they just kind of begin to uh, live life for themselves. The more comfortable they get, the more they choose their own ways and stop trusting God. Let me make sure I've got the right book up here. Yes. And when Israel chooses their own ways instead of God's ways, just like Adam and Eve did, notice this plagues us, choosing ourselves over choosing God. God allows them to be conquered by other nations. And then Israel would repent and turn back, and God would raise up leaders to kick out these oppressors and lead Israel. And Israel was like, yeah, they're going after God. And then once again, they would fall back in old, comfortable ways of sin and selfishness. But God continues to have this heart to constantly redeem them back. Because he's trying to create and come back to reflect his image, back in loving, good relationship with him. Do you see the theme? I really hope you do. Israel eventually rejects God as their king. Up until this point, they're just kind of like tribes, all just listening to what God is telling them. And at a certain point, they're like, we really want a king to tell us what to do. We like what the other nations have around us. We want a king like them. 
And they ultimately reject God as their king. Even though they were supposed to reflect God to these other nations, they continue to choose to be like these other nations. It's a terrible theme we see in our own lives. And so all the while, God is sending prophets um, who warn Israel and other nations and people of their evil ways and these prophets often give messages of judgment to come, but they always give a message of a future hope of a savior. Um, and, and this person who will be able to save us back from sin. I got missed one. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I hear those prophets who continue to call Israel back and even other nations and other peoples to come back, reflect God's image, come back in a relationship. God wants to talk with us about this. He's holding his hands out to us like they're constantly saying, come back, come back. Look at all this evil. Don't do it. Don't do it. Come back, come back, come back. God wants you. And then finally, this all ends and Israel is conquered by other nations. Just hold it. And though later after being conquered, the Jews are allowed to rebuild Jerusalem while still under the authority of other nations. And then here, there's this beautiful thing. The Old Testament ends with a prophecy. I love this prophecy. I actually didn't fully see this prophecy until I was writing this teaching. Um, it was a prophecy about someone who would come, that God would send someone who would prepare the way for himself, God, to come. So some of you who've read the whole Bible are like, oh, I don't know who that is. Don't mouth it out. Don't cheat. That's not cheating. You just read the Bible. That's smart. <laughs> so there'd be someone who would come. Prepare the way for God. And then the Bible, and or at least the Hebrew Bible ends. The Old Testament is there. And then we get this interesting thing. Um, notice I did miss a bunch of books because there's still a lot more. Just go read the Bible. It's so good. But let's talk about this. This is really important. There's something called the intertestamental period. Um, we don't typically preach about this, but it's very important to know. When the Old Testament ends to where the New Testament begins, there's a period of several hundred years that the Bible doesn't record really anything. And so here are a few things that happen because essentially the Old Testament ends, you get to the New Testament, and there's a whole different scene going on. You're like, where are the Romans coming? I haven't heard of them. Where are they? Well, it's important for us to know history. Any history majors here? Wow, so we really need to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> Listen to your history majors. They might teach you something. Um, so Israel, at this point, it ends, and they're under the authority of Persia. And then all of a sudden, Alexander the Great comes through. You've heard of that name, I'm sure. Conquers Persia, and he Hellenizes the known world. So he makes everyone start to take on Greek cultures, take on the Greek language. He tries to kind of really push all of his Greek stuff on all these people. And then after he dies, relatively young, while he's still going around conquering places, the Greek nation splits up into multiple nations. And Israel is under one of those nations. And it's all right for a little bit, but Israel eventually rebels. Israel actually wins its independence for a time. Until Israel has some kind of infighting, someone got a wise idea to invite Rome to come be on their side. Rome's just like, we'll just take you. <laughs> and Rome comes through. They were already going around conquering the known world. And so that's why when we enter the scene in the, to the New Testament, we have Caesar Augustus, the Roman Empire. Everyone's speaking Greek. Why is the New Testament written Greek? Well, because Alexander made everyone speak Greek. And so does, it, does that start to make some things click? Like, why are they speaking Greek if they're Hebrews? Yeah. Well, there you go. You're welcome. And also, they spoke Aramaic at the time. That changed my mindset. So, fun fact, though, in the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel actually prophesied all these things would come to pass. Um, and archaeological evidence actually shows that we have evidence that the, Daniel, the book of Daniel was written before all of this stuff. And so Daniel, um, through the Lord, prophesied 
that after Persia we come Greece, and after that we come other nations that are always fighting until eventually we are where we are today. Really crazy. Today being New Testament time. Sorry, I don't want to get that confused. Does that make sense? So that's an intertestamental period, and it sets us up for understanding the New Testament now. So let's get to the New Testament. New Testament. Testament, that word, I should have said this, it just means like covenant. So it's a new covenant that we, a, a new promise that God has given us that we get to be in relationship with him in a specific way that he has ordained. And so the Old Covenant, the Old Testament was a different way. And then Jesus brings this new covenant, this new testament. So let's, let's begin right away. We come onto the scene and we see, just like Malachi told us, there's this man named John the Baptist who comes on the scene and he is preparing the way of the Lord. He is preparing the scene for God on earth to come. And Jesus, who was God, had entered the scene born of a virgin. And after that, he enters the scene after John baptizes him in water. And Jesus comes out and he's calling disciples to himself, people who will follow him. He goes around doing much of his ministry through teaching and healing, casting out demons and more. And he's essentially what's called an itinerant rabbi, an itinerant teacher. He goes around to different cities and he would teach and is mainly going after Jews to get them back to go to the nations, to bring in everybody. And so he's going around and he's telling them about the kingdom of God is here. It's present. It's coming. We're going to see a redemption of sin. I am here. I am the one. Like, Jesus is showing them everything. And through his actions, he's casting out demons. Like, he's, he's forgiving people their sin. Like, he's doing things only God can do. He's calming seas. Like, he's revealing himself as God. He's fulfilling all the laws and prophecies from the Old Testament. And many come to believe in him. Many reject him. And his rejection leads to him being brutally killed on the cross. And on the third day after his death, he comes back to life. He resurrects, proving he's God, and he does take people's sins who believe and trust in him, and he will take them with him one day into eternity. And so then after his resurrection, he actually shows himself to over 500 different people, the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians. And he continues to teach them and his closest followers to carry forth the mission of restoring people back in a relationship with God and reflecting the image of God. Does that sound familiar? It's like God's been doing this for all of our lives. Jesus then breathes on his disciples. This is where they first receive the Holy Spirit. And he tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, and then he leaves into heaven. And a handful of days later, his followers are baptized in the Holy Spirit and emboldened to share the gospel and make disciples everywhere they go. And they begin to spread throughout the known world, telling all about Jesus. And a man named Paul, who's originally killing Christians, all of a sudden meets Jesus through this crazy encounter. And then he's telling people to, to follow Jesus. And then you have Paul and Peter and all these you know, known like Christian leaders going around. They're spreading Jesus throughout the whole known world and beyond. Um, and then... All these, um, um, or a lot of these well-known authoritative Christian leaders going around and actually writing letters to all the churches that they were planting throughout the known world. And that's actually a majority of our New Testament. It's, it's just people write letters saying, don't do this, that's evil, that's sinful, here's who Jesus is, here's some things you know. Like they're, they're constantly correcting, giving knowledge about who God is, who Jesus is, what not to do, how not to follow him, like all these things are beautiful and this is how... We need to follow Jesus today because someone took the time to write to someone in the past to help them, but it's ultimately still helping us today because God inspired it and he knows what he's doing. And then the Bible ends with revealing what will happen in the final days of our world 
God's judging everyone based on what they did and if they trusted Jesus. And at the very, very end, we get this amazing view where God essentially, it's once again, it's a great reset again where we have this new heavens, new earth, a new universe where all of us who believe in God are together with him in perfect, obedient, loving relationship, reflecting his image. Does that tie the story all back together? Does anyone get chills when they think about that? I'm just like, oh, I'm going to read the Bible again. <laughs> so, let's talk. There you go. My wife's quiz is funny. How do you study the Bible? How do you actually study the Bible? You know, thanks for all this information, Taylor. But how do we actually figure this stuff out for our own? Well, we're going to get in and actually practice this. And that's why I gave some of y'all sheets. It's John 1, 1 through 5. If you didn't get a sheet, I'm so sorry. Just write it in your notebook. Um, and you'll still be able to do this activity. And I'll lead you through how to do this activity. Um, but before we do it, I'm going to give some warnings. Um, I'm going to give you some fancy words uh, that I really want all of you to know. Um, and so everyone say exegete. Everyone say eisegete. Not everyone worry sound kind of like the Hulk, but say exegete good. Say eisegete bad. Okay, don't mix those two up because they look really similar. Exegete good. Exegete bad. Exegete lets the scripture talk to us. It says, okay, God, what are you saying here? And how does it talk to me? Versus, Isagete says, what do I think it says? Our culture does this a lot. It says, I'm going to look at how I like things, and I'm going to make the scripture kind of say what I hope it says. Atheists do this all the time. They'll be like, you know, the Bible says, you know, God's not real. And they'll like show you it. It's in. It's in the scripture. It says God's not real. And you're like, oh my gosh. Oh no. And then you literally just read the rest of the verse. It says a fool says in his heart there is no God. And you're like, all right, atheist friend. Learn how to read. So, but our culture blows this all the time. They take things out of context. They're not reading the whole thing. They're isolating. They're putting what they think the meaning is. That's why people like God like hates women and he forces slavery and does all this stuff. Bible, how it actually is. Read it in context, understand the culture, pull the meaning out, don't put your thoughts in. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's the difference. We're going to let God speak to us, not us tell God what's up. That's essentially what it is. Jesse's been telling us this whole time about that. Um, so here we go. It's another important thing to understand is there are different literary genres. Um, I think there are seven mainly. We might have an extra one in here. Um, but think of it this way. You know, people, it's a trick question. People go, do you read the Bible literally? And what would you all say? Yeah, it's a trick question. Sometimes. Sometimes. If I say, my heart is exploding out of my chest for my wife, are you going to be like, oh, anti-anti? No, you're not going to take that literally. I'm using poetry. I'm using a type of symbolism, but you understand that to mean I have a great love for my wife. Is that correct? So just because it's not taken literally, because it's poetry, it's not meant to be literal, it's giving us a symbolic image of something that's true. Will that affect how we interpret things? Yes. So it's very important to understand the literary genre that you're reading. So poetry is meant to be read literally, some is not. You get these laws that are different than what we're used to as laws because they're also told with a narrative going on in it too. 
to specific people and time in different cultures. You know, you get apocalyptic literature that talks about like end times and futuristic stuff, and some of it's literal, and some of it's like, whoa, what is this? There's a lot going on, and so it's very important to understand what's being said here. Um, the Bible Project on YouTube does a great series on literary genres. Yes, some of y'all know. I highly recommend it. I don't have time. People take seminary courses on just this stuff, and I've got 50 minutes. How much time do I have? Like 20 minutes? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, like not a 30. Not a seminary course. So it's very important to understand these different literary genres. So let's keep going. How do we actually study the Bible? This is a basic way to do it. We do something called Oya. Everyone say Oya. Oya. Yeah, Oya. O-I-A. Observation, interpretation, application. Oya. Oya. Any Canadians in here? Probably Oya. Okay. Oh, history majors, no Canadians. What are we doing now? We need to reach the nations. Canadians are nations. Um, so let's keep going. Um, I want everyone to take a picture of this. You're going to take a picture of this and the next one. These are things you can observe. These are things you can observe, and these things will help us to understand the scriptures. Oh, we see a lot of bones. So I'm going to talk about just a couple and how it helps us understand the scriptures. One, repetition. Have you ever noticed you talk about a lot of things that are important to you? You talk about a lot. I've mentioned my wife a few times. I love my wife. I've mentioned Jesus more times. I love him. He's my number one priority than Jesus. Oh, wait. He's wife. Jesus' wife. Yes. Because Jesus helps me love my wife. And so I talk about what I love. I, I, I repeat it. And so when you see the scriptures really repeat something, you go, oh, I should this is important. Maybe I should write something from here. Comparisons, contrast. I love contrast because, uh, listen to this expression, contrast brings clarity. When you hear of what something is not, it helps you understand sometimes what it is. Scripture does this all the time. Um, it's going to look at what are the verbs, what are the active verbs being used, what's the historical context, what emotional terms are being used, what's symbolism, what's the tone, what's all these different things. Um, there are a couple I want to explain a little bit more. Chiasms. Chiasms is a form of Jewish poetry. Um, Jesus actually uses this one time. Hear me, he says, um, um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And it creates a structure. Sabbath. A, man, B, man, B, Sabbath, A. And what's in the middle is more important. So the Pharisees are like, how dare you heal that man on the Sabbath? Right, Destiny talking about this? And Jesus is like, the Sabbath was not made for man. Or, I'm sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mankind is the, the climate's creation is more important. Don't you care about mankind more than your traditional Sabbath? You see how he's using that's a chiasm. These can be really hard to see sometimes. My wife is so good at finding them. Uh, I'm just like, how did you see them? And so there's actually a hidden one in here. Hit, hit. Um, and then parallelism, that's just often, sometimes the Bible will say something. You see this in Proverbs all the time. It'll say something. and almost like say it again, but it's like just in different words. But that's actually a form of Jewish uh, poetry. Um, I think their poetry is kind of boring and weird, um, but that's their poetry. So they do them. So let's go uh, to the next slide. We go from observation to interpretation. This is where it's hard. This is where we need to, what's the good one? It's exegete. We want to read the text, meaning out to us, what God is saying to us. And so 
here's some things to really understand. The principle that you want to draw, that kind of main point that this passage is telling us, you want it to be reflected in the text. If it's not even there and you're like, it says this, you're like, no, that's I see Jesus. It should be timeless. Something that applies to our culture and their culture back then. Right? It's not bound to specific cultures. It's all fair. It's who God is. It's consistent with the rest of Scripture. This is a good test. You'll see some people, cults, do this all the time. They'll be like, the Bible says this. And you're like, no, I know it doesn't because literally the Bible in every other place doesn't say that and contradicts what you're telling me right now. And so this main point that you think God might be speaking out of Scripture, it should be consistent with the Scripture. And then last, it should be relevant to the biblical and current audiences. So our audience, then it should apply to us. And then the last thing, now that you've kind of grabbed this main point, you want to kind of interpret it as really to even boil it down to a sentence. What is God really saying here? And then you apply it to your life. Right? You apply it to your life. Um, and there could be tons of ways to apply it. This is where when we get to the meaning, there's really just one. And then you take it out and you can apply it in multiple different ways. Right? So, um, one more thing to give us. Um, there are other resources we also use to say the Bible. How would you have known about the intertestamental period unless a scholar or me or someone told you about it? So it's good sometimes. They'll help get us context. There's study Bibles. You can listen to sermons. Get sermon notes. The Blue Letter Bible is a free software. You can see the original Greek. It's really in Hebrew and Aramaic. It's really cool. Logos Bible software I use. You have to pay for it at a certain point. Bible Project from the Logos Bible. These are all good resources. Check them out. Check them out. It helps you get deeper into the scriptures. Now, you try. I'm going to give you guys like five, maybe seven minutes. And I want you to go through. Can we go back to that observation slide? For anyone who wasn't able to take a picture, we'll go back to the observation slide. Um, and I want you guys to mark up your paper if you need to write it down or just write. If you didn't get a piece of paper, just write down your observations. Try to find word repetitions, comparisons, contrasts, cause and effects, perfect, all these different things. I'm going to give you all, like, some minutes, maybe we can play a little low-key music. Oh, never mind. I'll just sing. I'm just kidding. Um, you guys, just take a little time, and we'll come back in, like, five to seven minutes. All right, go for it. John. Uh, no, you're good. They took the cord. So. <laughs> 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 uh, I Yeah, I just put it back up. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, you Thank <laughs> you. 
Alright, what's up y'all? Let's come back. Who's read this passage before? And out of you who are raising your hands, who feels like you're maybe seeing some new stuff there? After observing more deeply. And so this is my challenge is just take time in the scriptures. You know, we have this need like, I want to check it off because I want to read it all. And it's like, that's a great thing. But the scripture is not meant to just be read. It's meant to be understood. Okay. That's the difference. And um, I give this example. Um, you know, when you eat a steak, you don't just cut off a piece, throw it in, bite, and swallow. Because you feel it later and you wouldn't get any nutrients, right? You sit there and you chew it. You chew it, you take time, and then you're going to really receive what it's giving us. Same thing with the scripture. Does that make sense? So I want to hear just a few observations. Uh, what are some observations you all saw? Go for it. Just yell it out. I got you. Okay. Yeah, so that one is actually, I think, one parallelism. See, because it's kind of saying the same thing in two different ways. But you're catching it. There's some fun poetry there. So that and go there. Oh, so is everyone just trying to find the guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, here's a chat, y'all are like that. So, what did you Oh. So that's actually the cause in there, right? Because the middle part is saying he's God. Y'all see that? John actually, when he writes his gospel, and this is why it's good to know some background, he's literally writing to, like, if you had any thought of you that's like, is he God? He's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to give you a lot of reasons why. You know? And so John, from the start, is like, in the beginning, he made everything. And so Jews are like, is he God? You know, that sounds like God. And then it's like, oh yeah, and he's God. <laughs> so, but there's a lot in here. Wait, did anyone try to begin to interpret this? Jump ahead. It's bold to maybe share what they think might be a main point. Go for it. Yell it out. It's, a, it's almost like a direct reference to the uh, plural nature of God. Okay. Like Say it a little louder. The what nature of God? The plural nature of God. Oh, okay. Yes. So we're seeing some hints of Trinity. Okay, that's true. Anyone else want to join in? Yes. I think it was really interesting. I was saying that's good. That's good. Right here. Yes. Yes. So they get that from Hebrews 4. Who's living? Sharp. That's right. You honor her. Just clap for her right now on that. something here. Um, I like this. I like this. So I'm going to give us kind of the main point that I was really seeing as I was trying to exegete out. Obviously, I've seen a few things. He's God. And who's the he? Jesus. The good Bible school answer. Jesus is God. And through the truth that he reveals, we can have eternal life. And that's what lights all of all mankind. Does that make sense? But then when you chew on it, you see like the symbolism and the imagery. Like is it didn't literally go around glowing. Right? So you don't necessarily read that literally. See? Like you take it and go, oh, I see what it's saying. He's revealing the truth about who God is because truth lights up everything and makes it clear. Does that make sense? So 
That's some fun stuff there. So we're going to press forward because I want to end with something. Keep going a little bit more. All right, two things. Where do I start reading about this? You guys who have never started, Destiny mentioned this. We don't typically recommend starting reading going through. I typically recommend read the Gospel of John first, then read all of the Gospels, then read the whole New Testament, then go through the Old Testament and read through the New Testament again. And I do this for a reason. So John, John, Gospels, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. I say it's because the Gospels clearly reveal Jesus. They're the narratives about Jesus. The New Testament continues to give us this well-rounded picture of who God is. But a funny thing, the New Testament references the Old Testament a ton. And so if you finish the New Testament, you should go back through because the Old Testament is going to fill in a lot of gaps. And then read the New Testament again, you'll be like, oh, snap. I see that now. Thank you, God. So, all right, we're going to look at something really fun. Let's look at the next one. We're going to look at Jesus and Old T, the Old Testament. What's our, we're stopping at 1120? Uh, or can I have 1130? Uh, right on, I love you guys. Okay, Joshua 5.13. Joshua 5.13. We're going to find Jesus in the Old Testament. But I'm gonna, we're going to have to be really good Sherlock's. We're going to have to really observe and see where this is. So I'm reading in ESV, Joshua 5, verse 13. And so Israel is entering the promised land, and they're about to go after this city, Jericho, first. But before they start doing anything with Jericho, we get this. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing there before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? For our adversaries. So he's already coming in and he's locked. He's like, We're the battle time. Who are you? Are you with us? Are you with them? I love this answer. And he said, This man, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Should angels receive worship? That's weird. Okay. Um, this guy just received worship. Who's allowed to receive worship? And he's the commander of God's armies. Okay. And he's receiving worship. Don't you think if he was some angel, God would just be like, Yeah, you're not commanding my armies anymore. Only I get that. But he's allowed to receive the worship. And funny enough, he tells him, hey, you should actually take off your shoes. This is holy ground. What does that sound like? This is like Moses with the burning bush. Who is this? Who is this? This is Jesus. We're getting examples of Jesus who actually came before he was incarnate, which means he came born of the Virgin Mary. We get him. In the Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? And what's interesting, you have to keep this in mind. Desi mentioned this the other day. Headlines in the Bible, um, and numbers like chapters and verse numbers, those aren't inspired. Those were added later to help us be organized with the scripture. And so if you were reading this originally, you wouldn't skip a beat. You'd just go right to Joshua 6 and not know a thing. And what happens in Joshua 6 
is Joshua is still hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus starts giving him marching orders. I used to read this and be like, Joshua's talking to this man, oh, chapter 6, now he's receiving this beautiful voice from heaven. No. He's still right there with God himself, receiving marching orders. Isn't that interesting? Who here has not seen it before? Okay, a few. I'm going to throw out another one. We're going to go backwards. We're going to go to Exodus 3. Exodus 3. Well, what was that? We just mentioned it. It was the burning bush. Well, this is weird. And so I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit. Moses is hanging out. He's taking care of his father-in-law's flock. And he looks over and sees something. Verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Who's in the burning bush? This is going to get tricky and fun. The angel of the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you a quick Hebrew lesson. Y'all ready? The word for angel is malak. Malak. Okay? And it's actually used of spiritual beings and normal people. There's actually a guy in the Old Testament. He was the malak to go deliver a message after a battle. It just means messenger. See, we read all this connotation like it's a spiritual angelic being with wings, which is wrong for so many reasons, actually. It just means a messenger of the Lord. And it actually says the messenger. Other points of scripture will say an angel, a messenger of the Lord. This one says the. He's in the burning bush, this messenger of the Lord. And Moses sees it. And then Moses turns aside to see it. And then it says this in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush. But who's in the bush? This messenger of God. Who apparently is speaking to Moses out of the bush. Who's in the bush? God. Jesus. And he says, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. What does that sound like? That sounds like the command of the Lord's armies. It's like this guy wears multiple hats or something. <laughs> Have you got who has not seen this one before? Yeah, this one is a constant theme. You can watch it. Uh, Bible Project also has a video called The Angel of the Lord. It's actually called The Angel of Yahweh. Um, and it, this is often, we're pretty sure this is Jesus. Because this angel, we see him keep popping up with all the different patriarchs. He, he meets Abraham at one point. He talks to Hagar. Um, Samson's parents talk to the, the angel of the Lord. And Samson's parents, you know, it's, eventually the dad sees him. He's like, who are you? What's your name? And the angel of the Lord goes, my name is too wonderful. What does that sound like? Why didn't he just go, Mike? Babe. <laughs> I'll talk to Mary later. You know, like, no, he doesn't. He goes, my name is too wonderful. Well, who does that sound like? You know, there's another point. The angel of the Lord is actually leading Israel. And God is speaking to Israel. And he says, this angel will lead you. My name is in him. And just like, what the what? And actually, Jews for a period of time were like, are there two like, there's this one where it says, like, there's this, this, this angel of the Lord, and he called to God, but he was God, and he called down fire in Sodom and Gomorrah, but it literally says, like, the Lord called to the Lord to call down fire, and you're like, what? And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see Jesus show up, and if you're not good observers, you will miss this. Do you see why we do Moya? Why we don't just read through? Because you could just blaze through the middle of some angel. But this angel's receiving worship. Turn himself as if he's God. You know, he's actually the one that stops Abraham from killing Isaac. Did you know that? 
He says, I see you have not withheld your son from me. And you're like, wait a second, his withholding from God. So we see this concept theme. And there's a lot of other ways that I don't have time because I do want to get us out so y'all can get lunch. You know, this is these are called, I'm gonna give you another fancy word. <laughs> What'd you have to say? Okay. <laughs> you can just clap for that. I like that. My bread. It's good bread. Anyway, um, these are called Christophanies. Christophany. Everyone say Christophany. This is when Christ showed up before he was incarnate. And it happened a lot. It happened a lot. Christ, C-H-R-I-S-T-O, Fanny, P-H-A-N-Y. <laughs> Maybe I should have put that up here. Christophany. Christophany. Um, I'll throw this out. This wasn't in my notes, but y'all seem hungry, so let's go. Let's just do it. There's also something called different types of Christ. Different people reflected Christ in different ways, right? David reflected Christ in some ways. This king, he reflected Jesus in some ways. Moses was like this ultimate prophet. He said, look, there will be a greater prophet after me, talking about Jesus, because Jesus was a prophet a king, a priest for us to, to bring us to God. He was also our great sacrifice. To get Israel out of Egypt, eventually they did this sacrifice of a lamb. It's called the Passover. And it actually is all symbolic. And it worked for its time, but it reflects the sacrifice that Jesus would do, that death would, the ultimate death would pass over us. Not just the death at that time. You know, there's all these crazy things. You know, if you've ever read, there's this interesting story um, of Jesus, and he's on a boat, and there's a storm, and he's sleeping. His disciples are freaking out. They're like, Lord, do you care about us? Why even put that he's sleeping in there? Like, why did the Holy Spirit have to inspire that part? Like, why did it seem like Jesus could be more awake? Because if you read the story of Jonah, he was asleep on a boat during a storm. And it showed Jesus is the better Jonah. That storm came to stop Jesus. That storm came for Jonah because of his disobedience. Showing that Jesus is a greater Jonah. And Jesus was going to the other side, which is essentially saying he was going actually to the side of the Gentiles where Jonah was sent to go. There's lots of parallels all through there. Jesus is the better Jonah. He was in, in um, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, he was in the earth. Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. He showed up. There are types of him. The laws actually reflect him. It's just radical what's there. But if you are not sitting there and really going into the scriptures, you'll miss how he's been there from the start and it climaxes with him. And that's why he's literally talking to Pharisees at one point when Jesus comes to earth. And he's like, you search the scriptures, but it is them that speak of me. He's talking to me, he's like, don't you realize? Abraham looked for my day, and he was glad when he saw it, because Abraham actually met him. Is this, are the, are the light bulbs starting to go on? Okay. And we are going to end on that note. I hope that made you salivate. <laughs>